You're listening to episode 198 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, you might notice that Pete's not here uh, again. This time, well, the family made a call of arms to everyone to come back to the Olive Garden. There is a breadstick shortage. What? There is a shortage on breadsticks. In this pandemic? You knew it was coming eventually, so they had to call in all the family members. Because when you're there, your family. And that's where Pete is right now. He's making the breadsticks. So he's actually, like, physically making the breadsticks. Yeah. Well, how else do they get them, Sean? They're unlimited. Somebody's got to make them. (laughs) If you if you guys remember the last page of All Star Superman where he's inside the sun, like keeping it on, that's Pete right now at the Olive Garden. He's just working a, like a lever here, churning out breadsticks. They have to be unlimited. I love the idea of someone in the back of every Olive Garden. Just all they do is just make those breadsticks, like <laughs> factory what about, style. What What about the soup and salad, Phil? Do you know? I listen. I am sure someone is back there churning out the soup and the salad. They probably dried up too. I only got you know kind of a SOS type message from Pete saying like you know Olive Garden needs me. They're my family. You guys understand. I gotta make it the breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, As for Marco, who's also not here, I think he's just afraid of our newlywed game show that we're doing for our 200th episode. So I think he's just stuck and hanging low, you know? He he knows he's about to lose again. Again. What are we going to make him read for the punishment for losing? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's a good (laughs) one. Now we're talking. That's a good one. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, uh, as the future winner, I'll have to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I don't know. I don't know. Jess and I have been stuck together for straight up six months, so... Is that how long you've been married for? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the real punishment, actually, when you think about it, is, like, the losing couple, the uh, girlfriend or wife has to also read the bad comic book, which is, like, going to be doubly painful, where it's like, you mean to tell me I have to read Cry for Justice? This is ab- actual tripe, and I know that because they don't serve that at the Olive Garden. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine Marco's uh, fiance, fiance having to not only lose, right, just losing in general, but then also having to read – she doesn't read comics. So having right. to read a comic that's bad and buy it. <laughs> Marco ain't having another, like, a good night's sleep for a while. Dude. <laughs> He's going to be sleeping on that couch, man. I think even, His cat's even gonna be more in the master bedroom. Even worse for Marco, though, is she probably will make him sleep with the fishes. Are we still talking about Olive Garden? <laughs> no, because they, she's the jackhammer, and they, you get it. What? Anyway, all right. Anyway, episode one ninety eight. Yes, yes, one ninety eight. Uh, <laughs> We've got a couple of reviews today for you guys. We are reviewing Empire number four and Strange Adventures number four. Really Stranger exciting. Things number four. Dude, please. I <laughs> can't wait to see that guy with the mustache as a bear. 
That's what that's what that show's about, right? No. So what happens in season four? What guy with a mustache? The guy, the mustache guy. What are you talking? Does he about? have a mustache? There's the chief. There's no season four. Are oh, you talking about Hopper? There's no yeah. season four. Rip. Uh, no, isn't he in Russia? Yeah, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, that doesn't mean oh, there isn't a Black one. Widow. I've seen the trailer. Oh, <sighs> my bad. <laughs> Actually, Hopper is Rus- Russian in Black Widow and is in Russia in Stranger Things. They must have shared the, the same lot or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before we get into everything, uh, definitely want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. If you want to write to us, you can do so at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, if you want us on social media, we are, of course, the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. You can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content like this. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Of course, you can also join our Discord server, where we are always having a very good time, very good conversations happening over there. Uh, This week, there's a lot of talk about Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball Z. uh, Now we're talking. Dragon Ball Super. Or, no, no one talks about Dragon Ball Super. Um, It's popular, though. Yeah, it is pop. Please, of course. Um, Please. Yeah, but none of you, what do you call yourselves, weebs? Is that what yeah. you are? Uh, well, you know, in that channel, the true otaku post. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It sounds yucky. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so lots of lots of good conversation always happening over there. Speaking of which, we actually have a double dose of questions and comments coming from the Discord server. Kale, do you want to read these? I would love to. All right. As soon as I find them. Oh, they're in the uh, they're in the notes, man. They're Come you know prepared. They are where they always are, and that's why I was thrown. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! He died. <laughs> the letter jumped out and kicked me. <laughs> oh my god! What's in All the right. air in Luxembourg? <clears throat> Holy. Tonight. Hello. <laughs> <Phil> Collins. <laughs> Did you guys see that video? That was something of the, the two uh, Gen Zers watching the, the Phil Collins video? No. Anyway, it's very good. All right. So this week, Matt from Discord. I assume this is uh, Left Eye Lazy, yes. who is uh, the good, uh, the good, good long box pals. Ooh, we had a double long box pals question this week. Ugh. So Matt asks, as Shonen Jump has announced to fans to prepare for the final arc of One Piece, comics fans worldwide are seeing another decades-old series begin begin its ending. With the end of The Walking Dead last year, it feels like the era of long-term storytelling in the medium of comics is dying off as well. How do the pals feel about decades-plus runs in comics and their current place in the market, whether it be single issues, manga, graphic novels, or webcomics? It's a real good question. So, I uh, 
This is tough because I really love long runs in general. And I think, yeah. you know, when you when you get to see two creators really kind of flex and grow together over years and years, uh, that's where you get a lot of the best storytelling. And unfortunately, in comics, a lot of times... Um, creators don't have the opportunity to do that. You know, sales are what they are, and a lot of books do end up just not having enough of a base to justify creators sticking around for years and years and years. Uh, you're lucky to be able to do that. And uh, I, I guess I don't know if I would say that um, that th- that there's an era coming to an end necessarily i think the walking dead has been an outlier even since when it was happening um just the idea that that a book could be going on for so long even with the best of intentions right that's still super long you know creators want to go on and tell other stories and do other things um i i think we could i think we could see another walking dead down the road if creators want to tell a story that long but even when you look at that book right like at some point it becomes inaccessible that's something we talk Mm -hmm. about with mainstream comics all the time where it's like how do you start reading batman where do you begin with that and i think it's even harder to do with the walking dead because of the tight continuity there Whereas, you know, Tom King starts a fresh Batman run and all you really, really need to know is Batman's specific origin, which at this point we all know. We've all seen the movies. We get it. Spider-Man, same thing. But when it comes to Walking Dead, these characters only exist in this one run by two creators and there is no restart. You know, there is no soft reboot. All the things that have happened from issue one to now matter uh, very much. So I feel like it's harder to get into something like that as a reader than, say, Spider-Man once it hits a certain threshold. What is that threshold? I don't necessarily know. Um, but, you know, I, I believe that that is a, a problem. And also, you know, as a creator, you are stuck in this one world for a really long time. You don't get to branch out and tell other stories uh, especially the artist, you know, um, you can't do anything else, really. Look at uh, Saga. Saga's another one. Yeah. 50-something issues. They've taken a long pause, and it's not because the sales are bad and they need to wait for some thing to happen so that it justifies going back to work on that book. You know, they're taking a break because they work on Saga constantly. Fiona Staples got a little bit of time to do other things. Um and, and and they'll get back to it when they do. So to answer the question, I don't think that, that we'll never see things like that again. I think we still have things like that happening. But I do see why it's harder to do that for creators now than ever before. I think specifically of uh, like The Wicked and the Divine by Kieran Gillen and, and Jamie McKelvey. That recently ended at issue 51. And, and they had a couple of – I'm not sure if that counts, you know, the various – uh, off offshoots, um, <clears throat> you know that they had 
in in between the arcs and stuff. Um, yeah, it's just I, I would say it's got to be harder harder to keep up with. Um, and you know, when you're talking about especially manga, a lot of times there are three or four different artists working on one book. You, you had a guy for your backgrounds. You had a guy for your, you know. Uh, so it just, I think it just it just depends. But I'm also thinking specifically of um, Savage Dragon, yeah, and Cerebus. <clears throat> you know, uh, they both hit what issue 300 or something uh, last year, I think. Uh, but they're both done mostly by one to two people. Eric Larson, I think, does Savage Dragon by himself, and then. Uh, Cerebus is done by Dave Sim and some, some other guy who I can't think of. But they've been going for 30 some odd years. Wow. I can think of the last time a big two book span longer than a decade, really. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. Um, a decade? Please. Tr- try f- yeah, exactly. five years. Yeah. Right. Uh, obviously there was, um, there was a uh, what's his name is run on Spider Man that ran for what eight years yeah, or so yeah Dan Slott uh, was- even then though that's like kind of bogus because he uh, there were when he first got on there were a lot of there were like uh, it was a rotating writers room mm. type of thing and then he had there were uh, you know a few issues where he had like a ghost right not a ghost writer but like a a helper, so. Mm. Uh, there's obviously Grant's Batman ran, run that ran about six, seven years. Yeah. Um, uh, Bendis. Jeff Johns, Green Lantern stuff. Bendis. <laughs> that doesn't count, though, because he just slams his head against the keyboard and whatever comes out, comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, like, throughout the 90s and 2000s, there's... A lot of runs you can think of that spanned at least five years, but you know, we're talk- when Matt brings up decades, you know, I don't even know if really I can't even really think in the uh, long runs of comic book history how many runs lasted like ten years. There was obviously the f- most pronounced example I can think of is is the X Men stuff by uh, Claremont, mm. but beyond that, uh, I don't I don't think. I don't think creatives really stick on books that long outside of their own independent projects. Yeah, and 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 again, even even in those instances, ten years is a very tough thing to do for a, a, so many different reasons, right? Like, yeah, um, the world changes, and you know, this thing that you're doing is not interesting in the same way, or. You know, your life has changed and you don't care about this anymore. You know, there's just so many reasons why I could see that not working for such a long time. It's also very difficult to have the kind of story that can be that long. The Walking Dead works out because it kind of gives you – you get this this plot, this, this story idea, and it can be anything at that point. You know, zombie – human beings left over after the zombie apocalypse go you know um but there's a lot of other stories that don't work that way it is weird that you see it often in mangas uh you'll see titles like uh i'm not a manga expert so you'll have to excuse me but you'll see things like uh berserk 
that's been going since like 1990 or whoa you didn't you know sean alluded to akira toriyama's dragon ball that went for 10 years and well, a lot of anime seem to or manga seem to do that but a lot of the ones that have been going on for decades plus at this point, their creative teams or their author or illustrators take hiatuses, long ones. Now, when you, you think of Saga, it's they'll take multiple years off from a title, whereas, you know, something like Saga, typically it's like, I don't know, what's the longest hiatus Saga was on? Well, we're right now. Yeah, we're in it now, and I think they went on hiatus last year. So maybe that's the closest equivalent to that kind of situation, but I uh, I don't know if it's you know I I can't pretend to understand the marketplace of mangas or whatever, but you know it's I imagine there are more demands on on uh, American comics to have these released. Plus, there's more cooks in the kitchen. You have to get a lot of people roped in to be able to work on a project, and their schedules have to work out and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like mangas. It's like usually there's only a couple people, like a couple editors maybe, and then usually like a manga writer and artist are the same person. Uh, depends. I was I was I just said a few minutes ago that uh, you know sometimes there are people who do uh, background art, and that's True. you know they they turn that stuff out specifically so uh, it can come out. They can get a lot more out and faster. Hmm. That's a good point. Saga's been on hiatus for two years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. The last issue of Saga, which was 54, came out July 25th, 2018. So, you know, when you talk about, like, a decade-long run, uh, by the time Saga concludes, it will be over a decade because um, there's another 54 issues to come, and it started in 2012, so... I think it's reasonable to assume they won't be done yeah. for a, quite a few more years. But is it really a decade-plus run when the creators are taking that much time off? Uh, that's, good. that's a good question. Do you even count those years? I wouldn't say so. I mean, 54 issues over the course of eight years is not... I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like that much. Um, but... You know, it, it's interesting nonetheless, and I'd be interested to hear about more comics that have had, you know, long runs like that. Like, we tried to think of, of some, and I can think of a few books that have five-year runs, three-year runs pretty easily, but but beyond that, it gets harder to do. So, uh, if you guys can think of any, uh, definitely write in and let us know. But, and your favorite decade-long books, too. Yeah. So let's let's get into what Tyler had to say. So Tyler says, "All right, so I've disagreed with you guys on a lot of things. Heroes in Crisis, Tom King's Batman, even Empire. But on the most recent episode, you've gone too far. Skipping horseradish? Are you kidding me? Slather that shit on some rock? God, I can't. I <laughs> nope, can't. Say I'm not reading the rest of this. No, come on. You have to say it." Slather that shit on some raw clams. Uh-huh. Or oysters. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, you've killed our boy. <laughs> Nothing better than slurping some <laughs> some clam. <laughs> that is pretty Tyler! Bad. 
while reading my funny books. <laughs> so my question is why the horseradish hate? Yes, I expect this question to be read on the show. Well, let me tell you, Tyler, <laughs> horseradish is disgusting. <laughs> it's like it's like you know those really really thick uh, permanent markers. They're not Sharpies. I think they're their own brand, but they're really they're really crazy thick. The smell of that, it's like the smell of that put in a bottle. It's disgusting. It's so pungent and so like it's like being punched in the face with a knife. <laughs> wow. And then you have to swallow it. The knife. The knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. like it's like it's like eating glass on a roast beef sandwich. Oh my I God. bet Tyler has done that. I mean, if he's putting horseradish on shit, that's <laughs> definitely what he's doing. <laughs> uh, was this in context of Sean saying he wouldn't drink horseradish? Is that what that was about? I don't remember. He's never had it, I, and he shouldn't. Yeah, I've never had it. I, I couldn't even hazard a guess as to what it tastes like. You know Triple X? The movie? Well, the character. Vin Diesel? Yeah. Okay. If you take his sweat... <laughs> Oh, no. If you take oh. his sweat oh, and no. run it through and run it through a filter of minced garlic and onions. What are you saying? And and then slap some some of the most just rotten mustard you can come up with and mix it together and send it to Arby's in the mail first class because you don't want it to spoil. That's what horseradish tastes like. This show's canceled. <laughs> I'm glad. I never want to hear something like that ever again. I don't have an interest in horseradish. I don't even know what would you I don't even know like okay, so you said put it on clams or oysters. I've never had either one of those. So I don't know what that goes why, on. Why would you? Ew. Yeah, I don't know. Um So Tyler's engaged. And like, is this like what his fiance is gonna read in her marital vows? I love when you slather horseradish on your seafood that you just gulp down like, <laughs> uh, like fucking like a big gulp. Oh, I knew the right. first time I saw you did that. You're the one. That time we went to Arby's together after watching Avengers Endgame, you <laughs> you <laughs> dipped a whole roast beef and cheddar sandwich. You just went to the back of the restaurant, and they they let you because this is a service Arby's did. You you put your hand and the whole sandwich into the the horseradish vat, and then the weird thing is you put your whole head in it, and they still and they let you do it, and it was fine. And you took a bite, and it was the most romantic. And the weird thing is, I had some horseradish after that, and it didn't taste any different. That's what her vows are going to be. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Tyler. This show's canceled. Also, you disagreeing with us on those other books, all that proves is that, you know, you're wrong. And uh, that's all right. And, and and do write in and let us know how you're feeling about Empire because you said you disagree with us. What is there to disagree with? What do you – what do you uh, – what's your dissenting opinion there? We'd love to hear it. So somebody's just a – somebody's just a mark. It happens. Uh, people think the world's in- flat. He's like an AJ Styles. You just think the world's flat. I mean, he likes horseradish. Horse Harsh. 
Let's get into the pals pulls. So, Kale, why don't you kick it off with uh, Corto Maltese Mu, the Lost Continent. So this is the end of uh, Hugo Pratt's long-running uh, series, uh, Corto Maltese. It's published by uh, a company called Eurocomics. Uh, and I think they're a brand, they must be a branch of IDW or something. But, um, I've, I, longtime listeners will know I've talked about this series on the show. It's one of my favorite European comics. It's about this, uh, sailor during, uh, World War One who's got like a Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop nice. 5. He goes around and he has adventures. Um, and in this one, he, uh, goes, on the the great search for Atlantis, which I guess is the the lost continent of Moon. Mm. Anyway, I'm very excited, and thus the circle closes. The uh, the uh, uh, the synopsis says, mm. "Don't know what that means, but I like it." All right. Uh, from Phil, we've got the cruel summer hardcover. Yeah, it's so, a cruel. Listeners, cruel, you'll know cruel summer. Thanks for the backdrop music. <laughs> Listeners, you know we did a Kill or Be Killed book club, and if you listen to that, you'll find out that's the first time I've ever read a uh, Phillips and Brubaker uh, collaborative book, and it was great. I really enjoyed it. And I'd like to read more Cruel Summer. Uh, as it is right now, I'm in the middle of watching True Detective Season 3, and I feel like I'm kind of going down that true crime rabbit hole. The description of this book is basically about some uh, some crooks planning a heist and in doing so falling down the path of the sins of their fathers and that kind of generational uh, there's something really appealing about there's like something almost Greek about it when you're you're bound to your fate I guess premise here of 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 people who you would think are free to choose their own path but choose to fall, walk down a well-trodden path of, of failure and misery. Uh, that is interesting to me. So, uh, yeah, that's why I put on my pull list here. I'd like to read more of Brubaker and Phillips. And uh, if you guys have read this, tell me what you think. Yeah, I feel like um, I could be wrong about this, but uh, I believe that this is actually – this book was not released in uh, – yeah, I was gonna say they're doing a couple of those, right? Uh, Pulp just came out fairly recently as a just a gra- oh, a, a trade, just a graphic novel. Yeah, okay. So I think uh, I think they're doing those big drops with uh, some of their upcoming work. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about one of those works a little bit later, but yeah, I believe this is one of those. Okay. So, uh, and as for me, I went with Marauders number eleven. I am. Still very excited by all of the X-Men stuff that's going on. Um, Marauders has been pretty good throughout its run, and they still haven't dealt with the death of Kitty Pride. Obviously, things have gotten a little bit muddled um, because... It's been 15 years since we read an issue. <laughs> well, we read we read a Marauders not that long ago, but uh, what I'm really referring to is the fact that uh, you know, she's alive in X-Men Fantastic Four, and right. we're not exactly mm. sure when things are taking place at this point, but um, it finally seems like Marauders is going to address her death, and so that's exciting. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, then I also chose Seven Secrets, number one, 
This is oh, is that coming out next week? Sweet. Yeah, uh, this is Tom Taylor and uh, art by Danielle Dean Niculo. Uh, we talked about this book before, um, I believe we did, and I'm excited not necessarily because of the premise. It's more about the fact that it's Tom Taylor. Tom mm, Taylor yeah. is on the rise, and he's been doing a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, he's not exclusive, so he's been playing the middle at Marvel and DC. He's got the Injustice stuff over at DC, which has been pretty cool. And then he's done a lot of um, different smaller things at Marvel. He's also doing Deceased over at DC right now. And so this is uh, a creator-owned book of his that I'm I'm really looking forward to checking out from Boom, which is on fire right now. And um, yeah, I think it'll be cool. So I'm gonna give that a gonna give that a read. Didn't he have a run on Justice League before Snyder? Am I am I mistaken in that? Mm, I'm pretty confident he didn't have a run on Justice League. Okay, wasn't that Brian Hitch? Uh, maybe it was Brian Hitch. He definitely had a run on Justice League. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, good stuff there. Uh, I do want to make mention of a couple of things. So we've got our 200th episode coming up. Uh, (laughs) Pretty exciting. Uh, We're all looking forward to it. And we want to to do some things. We want to do some cool things. Uh, So we're going to have some giveaways going on. Uh, We're going to be giving away a House and Powers hardcover to you guys uh house and powers oh, yeah. is probably the book that we've enjoyed the most collectively since we started doing this podcast and we thought that for our 200th show we would give away an, uh, a hardcover of that to you guys share that with you guys share our love of comics with you um so we will be giving that away and then we will also be giving away a steam code for lego batman 3 uh, that uh, that Pete actually has. So we're going to be doing those things. Um, and it's not actually going to be too hard. It's not going to be too hard to to uh, to get involved. Um, all you have to do is you have to like us on Twitter uh, and join our Discord. Just come hang out on the Discord. Um, that's it. I think that's what we agreed to. Well, I mean, you also forget that you have to put your headphones in the shape of a pentagram. Oh, that's right. Light it on fire and sprinkle the ashes over uh, uh, a Swamp Thing comic book. And then you'll summon Marco. That's, and you'll summon Marco, who might give you a raffle ticket for the for the giveaway. And that's, that's I think, the tricky part. You, gotta tr- you really got to trick him into giving you the ticket. Yes, so if you actually do want to do this, you have to convince Marco to either say or spell his name backwards. Then he'll disappear back to his own dimension. And in doing that, a raffle ticket will drop before you. Wow. What is his name backwards? Okrom? <laughs> so, uh, officially, the way you enter is... <laughs> Uh, to uh, like and fo- like our post on Twitter uh, and retweet it, and then you can get extra entries if you uh, join our Discord and um, subscribe on YouTube. So you should do all those things anyways. Uh, and if you're already a YouTube member or 
um, a Discord member, then thank you very much, and that's awesome. And you can have an extra entry if you can show us that that's the case. Um, so we will be giving those things away on the 200th episode of the show. Um, so stay tuned for more info on that. And then also, like we mentioned, we're going to be playing the uh, Newlywed game. So that'll be a lot of fun, and we hope you guys enjoy that too. Um, lots of cool stuff. 200 episodes is a huge milestone uh, for a lot of reasons for us. You know, this is a thing that we started a while ago, obviously, at this point, not exactly knowing where things would go. Um, so for us to be able to be at this point is pretty cool. We're surprised, too. We made it. Wow. <laughs> I said from day one, we're going to hit 200. Yeah, Kel's been the one that he called a shot. He's like Babe Ruth. He pointed the bat at 200. He said, we're going to make it there, baby. Yep. It's after that that I my contract is up. I'm no, I'm no longer exclusive to the Comics Pals. Uh, who knows what will happen. We're going to have to negotiate for your rights. More money. I may not even be there, so... No, you'll be there. Or, frankly, you'll be square, and we all know you're square. Got me there. <laughs> well, you know where I want to be? Under the sea? Jamaica, Bahamas, ooh, I want to take you no. to Bermuda. There's, there's way too much singing on this episode. I can't I can't do it. Um, Regular solo bolo. <laughs> uh, I want to be at the DC Fandome. Oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds just as bad as Comic-Con. In my house? The DC fandom will be at your house, actually, so uh, I don't have Fuck, to go too clean. far. You have to go to Luxembourg. Uh, it's at my house, you do. <laughs> oh. I don't even think you can come to my house. Why not? The borders are closed to Americans. You guys can't get your shit together. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, in any event... We do have the fandom coming up on August 22nd. Uh, it's going to be free. It's going to be uh, packed with exclusive reveals. It's going to have tons of different actors and creators and, and you know big wigs over at DC Comics. And it's going to be 24 hours only for some reason. Think Superman will show up? Like Henry Cavill? No, the actual superhero. No. Uh, uh, he isn't. Surely he's too busy for that. Yeah, I, I would hope that he would be too busy for that. <laughs> There's a goddamn pandemic on. Like, come on. He's probably really busy, huh? Yeah. So, uh, they put out a trailer for the fandom, and it was uh, it was interesting. Uh, there wasn't. <laughs> there was sure something. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't a ton to it. Uh, it, it I, I mean, they had the Superman music, the original uh, Superman music, so that was kind of nice. A nice That's predatory. Touch. I figured you were going to feel that way. <laughs> I love that music and still so many feelings in the man. So when I hear it associated with the fan dome, uh, <laughs> I, feel, I, feel compli- I feel complicated feelings. Yeah, um, my feeling was, okay, this is cool, but it's kind of unfortunate that there isn't anything attached to it. <laughs> that So that, that music is very specifically from, you know, a 60-year-old movie, 50-year-old movie, something like that. 50, 50 yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
it'd be cool if there was something that we could associate with DC musonically that was more recent than that. <laughs> well, to to Man of Steel's credit, mm. uh, that soundtrack was excellent, uh, Hans yeah. Zimmer. But there's no like, there's no melody that comes out. Uh, it doesn't pop like that John Williams score from fifty years ago. Oh, it's a John Williams. Yeah. Okay. The only thing, the only other recognizable thing I could think of would be the Batman the animated series. But that's that's like a score that's a motif of the of the uh, Tim Burton movies Batman score anyway. I, I mean, fine, yeah. But I'm saying it's recognizably DC. Yeah, yeah. I I I would have enjoyed that. I I kind of agree, I guess, in the sense that the Superman music is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say it's sacred or anything, but it's just like very specifically that. But be that as it may, um, we've talked about the fandom before. It's it's kind of weird. Um, they had it's broken up into these different houses, kind of uh, virtual events, well, like a Neopets village. <laughs> what? what? You, you guys don't remember? The Neopets map? I've never no. played Neopets, homie. Oh, man, you're missing out. So we've got the Hall of Heroes, which is their their version of the main hall. The DC Watchverse, the DC U-verse, DC Kidsverse, DC Insiderverse, and DC Funverse. Uh, there's not a lot of um, explanation as far as the distinction between all of those. Uh, but we do know some of the things that we can expect based on what DC has teased. Uh, we're going to get a look at the Suicide Squad movie. That's coming. Uh, we're going to get some kind of look or information about the season two of Batwoman, although I really don't understand how that could be possible, considering the fact that if they've done any filming at all, it would have had to have happened during the coronavirus. Um, right. And so that's going to be really weird because that's a very physical show with fight scenes and things like that. So how does that work? I don't know what footage they can have to show us. I, um, I, I believe more uh, – I remember Dwayne Johnson was talking about how they're going to start resuming one of his movies in – it's a, another one. It's a kind of an action movie, but – you know, like anything else that's happening right now, it's going to have, like, all these protocols in place. You know, there's wrestling shows taking place. There's a bunch of sports that are back. Uh, I think movie studios are eyeing the same types of things where it's like, how do we resume production in a, in a COVID environment? So, yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about all of them, but from what I understand, the, the CW shows go between LA and uh, Vancouver, I think. Canada has a much better... I, uh, has a lot more under control than LA does. Yeah, but they have a, also have a lot more restrictions, I think, mm-hmm. on what you can do. And to my knowledge, I don't know that the CW shows are, are back yet. Yeah, and we actually read an article uh, maybe a month ago about how they were reevaluating the way that they would be doing these things. Uh, yeah. They would try to have social distancing between the actors on the set while they're filming. So that would require, you know, camera tricks, but also for the shows to adapt their content. 
And again, a show like Batwoman, I could see being really impacted by something like that because it's, you know, it's these characters fight all the time. So I'm not sure how they're going to work. Kiss. That too. That too. I have heard that The Bold and the Beautiful, the soap opera, is letting, I don't know if this is true, but I have heard it, that the actors are kissing their spouses and they're like using that as footage. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that as I guess is like a stand-in or whatever. That's right. disgusting. The, Who'd kiss their they, wife or husband? Ewe. Not me. <laughs> I've never once kissed Jess. Not even our marriage. Well, what if? What if you're 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 in a relationship with uh you know like you're you're a white person and you're in a relationship with a, with a, with a black person, but your character on the show is not. How's that going to work? Blackface. Soap opera actors don't have to worry about that. Blackface. I like your answer a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, could you imagine watching the show and it's like these 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 two, you know, white people, but then when they go to kiss, one of them is just black. (laughs) Just all of a sudden. (laughs) What blonde lady all of a sudden becomes like a a black lady with you know There was like Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there like a police procedural show that was in the middle of filming right when the pandemic started? And so to like keep releasing All of on like schedule, they did like really poorly done animation of like certain scenes or something. Oh my god, that's brutal. Huh. I don't know if I heard about that. So imagine that. that. That's an idea. Uh, Here's a drawing of me and my girlfriend. Wow. I, I guess actually, in the case of something like Batwoman, that could be kind of okay uh, because it work. does have that comic book connection. But I don't know. Could could be a Batmite episode. Uh, God, I don't know if CW audiences would be able to deal with that. That feels like out of their realm of comfort. They've got they've got uh, Mister Mixel Spitalik. Really? Oh shit! Yeah, he was the he was the guy one of the guys from Glee first, and then he was Thomas Lennon on, like, wow. Supergirl's 100th episode or something. So, yeah. anyway, uh, they're teasing a new Suicide Squad game uh, and a Batman game, so that's cool. Um, more Injustice stuff. Uh, obviously, probably a trailer for the Snyder Cut. Um, oh, like a real one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for the Daddy's Little Monster Cut for Suicide Squad 2. <laughs> Uh, we'll for sure get some kind of look at Wonder Woman 1984, um, and then of course, probably a, a some kind of movie that we haven't even heard about yet, like a secret film. Yeah, surely. Yeah, surely. Uh, I guess I'm excited for this. DC's in a weird spot right now, where the only thing that they really have to show us that I know of, of course, barring anything secret. Is Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman. Suicide Squad, James Gunn aside, I don't know that I care. I'm not that excited mm. for it. I'm not like attached to the Suicide Squad in any particular way. And James Gunn's great, but that's not necessarily a director's name attached is not enough to get me to be pumped. And then Wonder Woman is Wonder Woman. Like it's gonna be what it is, you know. I personally I know that this is not an opinion that is widely held but I didn't think the original Wonder Woman movie was all that good 
And, uh, you know, like I'm excited for the next one, but it should have been out already. And so I peaked with my excitement and now I'm crashing. Um, yeah, I never saw the first Suicide Squad movie, the David Ayers one. I think you were going to say Wonder Woman. I was like, we all saw it <laughs> together, be, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> How trashed were you? Uh, I think I was, uh, I think I was completely sober for that. It was Justice League that I was yeah. trashed. Um, yeah, so I, for me, uh, having a good director does make me interested and, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of into this loose sequel of Suicide Squad. It could be, it could be good. Definitely need to see a trailer. The question is, are you excited about Fandom? No, 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 no. I I know we're all trapped in a dome right now, but I don't need to be in a Fandom. It is a hot summer. I would love some oscillating winds to hit me. That's fine, but no, not the DC Fandom. Um, I did like. Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman, though. The third act was kind of weak, but as a whole, you know, I think it held up just as good as most Marvel movies does. Um, That's not- fine. Who cares? We'll probably see something from Black Adam. Yes. Or get some sort of tease for yes. it. Yes. Because The Rock is just losing his mind over well, it. Well, there is a guest list. And this is the part that I think is is also kind of interesting. So I'm just going to read off a, f- a couple of the names, a few of the names. Uh, Jeff Johns, uh, Gal Gadot, Jean Luen Yang is going to be there. That's kind of cool. cool. Um, Ezra Miller will be there. Uh, he's been – Oh, he got out Yeah, of jail. he's been laying low <laughs> since that crazy situation he found himself in. Uh, Ed Boon is going to be there from Nether Realm Studios. Justice Three, baby. Probably, yeah. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, will be there. Smelt that one coming. Uh, Dean Norris, nice. Dean Norris. I don't know what role he has to play at the Fandom, but uh, you disappointed me. I thought it was going to be Dean Kane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe he'll make an appearance too. Uh, who uh, who is Dean Norris? Dean Norris played Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Damon Lindelof will be there, so that's kind of cool. Oh, interesting. I wonder if he will do more Watchmen stuff. Yeah, that, now that I think about it, that's... Uh, why is he there? Right, unless he has mm. something. And obviously the thing that would be on everyone's mind is more Watchmen. And it, that, I mean, it was the most nominated show at the Emmys, I believe. Yes, I saw that. So that's a lot uh, of positive props. press. I mean, I can imagine uh, Time Warner being like, "Listen, we need more, baby." Not just that. Yeah. Not just that, but like, you know, um, Juneteenth Day just happened two months ago, and like, there has been so much conversation about the Tulsa ra- uh, race riots, and so many people have said that they learned about it because of his Watchmen show. Like, yes, his work. I did. Yeah, I did too, and that's like a whole. Like, I don't know. Watchmen has been a low-key significant show this year. Yeah. I don't even think it's a low-key significant show. I think it's a very high-key significant show. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, it's easier to tell you that the only like major players who will not actually be at the Fandome are um, Henry Cavill and um, uh, geez, uh, Ben Affleck. Henry Cavill's name is on that list, though. Uh, 
yeah, according to comicbook.com, he will not be at the event. And uh, neither oh. will Ray Fisher or Joss Whedon for obvious reasons. The other interesting person that will be there is I saw Robert Pattinson will be there. It'll be interesting yeah. to get more of a look at what's going on with this Batman project. Because on face value, I'm like super interested in it, but gotta know more about it, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm 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 definitely pumped about that, and all of that, the totality of everything that we've just kind of talked about makes this an event that could be cool. Uh, I don't understand, though, the 24 hours only gimmick, hmm. because I, unless they're going to, I guess they're going to maybe make this uh, something you have to pay for after the 24-hour period, but if hmm. there's really going to be this much content with all these different people attached, all these different virtual rooms, uh, you can't reasonably consume this in a 24-hour period. So I figure they're, they're, they must be planning to charge you for access after the 24 hours. Maybe. And there's certainly like a way of trying to build hype where it's like you only have a certain time window for it. Um, I, we were what, talking about the San Diego Comic-Con stuff the other day where it's like, I can check this out any old yeah. time and then you lose right. interest. To make it seem like there is a window attached to it, I could see that being a way of drumming up interest where it's like, wait, we got to check it out right now or we're not going to catch it at all. Mm. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, yeah, I think DC is on a – they're on a roll. They're on a roll. Uh, they've, they've really generated a lot of buzz for themselves, I feel like, over the last – I don't know, since the coronavirus started. Not all of the buzz has been good buzz. No. Nope. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but this fandom feels like – kind of a a culmination of all of the things that have happened. Uh, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. On the road to that, though, we do have a, uh, a documentary coming. Oh, no. Called Hashtag Release the Snyder Cut, The Road to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> A week before the fandom, August 14th, we will get a documentary being made actually by uh, comicbook.com. Good for them. It's going to be basically what it is, is it's covering the efforts of the fans to get this Snyder Cut made, uh, the trials, the tribulations of, of these individuals who worked very hard to get this done, uh, which they were successful. We'll be getting it on HBO Max down the road. Um, it's it, you know, yeah, this is this is happening. It's a massive, life-altering shit. Just th- there are no words. Like the way this has all come together, the Snyder Cut. Like everybody thought they wouldn't do it, and. Now they're doing it. And that's what the trailer is. If you, that's what the doc, this documentary is going to be if you want to uh, get a listening peek. So you don't need to watch it now. We the fans. You're welcome. Like in the Declaration of Independence, we the people. We made a difference here. We took a stand. We decided that we were going to make a difference, and we did. We're the real heroes here. 
Unite the seven. We did. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I gotta say, um, this is weird. And it's weird because it... Okay, I have been a defender on some level of the Snyder Cut people. The people who have, you know, been campaigning and working towards getting this done. Uh, I think that the 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 movement as it relates to wanting the Snyder Cut released, only that has been maligned unnecessarily. That aside, right, this feels like revisionist history a little bit. Because the Snyder Cut movement also includes a lot of insanely toxic people who have gone out of their way to uh, harass and shit on people on the internet for basically no reason. Or no good reason, I should say. And so to make a documentary about their efforts, unless, you know, we haven't seen the documentary, but unless it covers the fact that that also happened, it wouldn't be reflecting that movement accurately because there were a lot of douchebags in that movement who absolutely ruined it in terms of public perception. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Uh, most most people that I've seen on, on Twitter really advocating for the Snyder's Cut are um, not really people I've totally been interested in being associated with. That's not to say that people that like enjoy the Zack Snyder movies that's a, like that's fine. You can enjoy whatever you want. These people are going way too hard in the paint over these like Zack Snyder movies. Like they feel like they're a part of some kind of weird cultural movement. It feels like, and like the things are so maybe these maybe these studios will think twice next time before they cancel an art an artist specific creation. Like another another. That's one thing, but it feels like a lot of people who are hardcore Snyder Cut fanboys are the same people who get mad about Star Wars for being SJW. Uh, I don't want to make an unfair one-to-one equivalency, but that is often what it looks like on Twitter. And, um, yeah, not my scene. (laughs) Not my scene, to say the least. Again, though... There is a difference, and I have friends who are really interested in the Snyder Cut. I got phone calls from people who, you know, were like, oh, my God, they're, you know, they're putting this out. And, you know, these are my friends. They're good guys, um, you know, but they're into it because whatever Zack Snyder did, yeah, it didn't connect with a lot of people, but it also connected with a lot of people. And I think that that is reasonable. What I'm specifically talking about is – the unreasonable people. And if this documentary does not address those unreasonable people, then I don't think it should be made because that was also hurtful. And that was just as much in the news before the Snyder Cut announcement was made as any other part of this movement was in the news. They have to address that. Do you think it's... It yeah, won't. I feel like it won't. What do you think, yeah, Sean? It won't. I think you guys are right. I think they won't. And I think that that makes this kind of um, just a little bit disingenuous because, you know, if you're going to talk about the movement, you ha- I, in my mind, you have to talk about that element. God, I hate that we're calling it a movement, though. <laughs> like, it is. It is a movement. Uh, 
What is it? Like a bowel movement. Hey. Like, when we talk about movements, we're... Still a movement. Still a movement. 2020 has been full of movements. Actual movements are trying to, like, <laughs> change things. So when we talk about releasing a movie as a movement, it just... It feels so trivializing. Well, as it happens, we do a comic book podcast, and... And it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. That aside, uh, you know, that's just the way it is, man. You know, it is it it is what it is. It's a movement. Um, I feel that bowel movement in my bowels right now. Oh. All right. Well, uh, moving right along, uh, Ed Brubaker on Sean Phillips, we mentioned them earlier. Uh, Phil had called out the Cruel Summer hardcover that's on the horizon. Uh, Cruel Summer. They are getting ready to launch their new graphic novel, Reckless. Um, and what's interesting about this is that it's going to be a graphic novel series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, uh, they, they talk to the Hollywood Reporter to give us a, a look into what this is going to be. Uh, it's going to start in December. Hmm. Um, and again, very different. Um, so this is, this is a statement from Brubaker. He says, Reckless comes from my love of pulp heroes and private eyes. When I'm craving escapism, I pick up a Jack Reacher book or a Lou Archer or a Claire DeWitt or a Travis McGee or an Easy Rawlings or a Parker, and I get taken away by these characters in their worlds. I wanted to bring that feeling over to comics with a series of graphic novels that each tell a complete story, a thriller or mystery, and also, for as long as Sean and I have been working together, we've almost never focused on a hero. So Reckless is a big left turn for us, but it's still our version of a hero, so sometimes more of an anti-hero, probably. Hmm. Uh, That sounds kind of neat. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in this because, like Ed said, this is a huge sort of deviation from what they typically do. And the fact that it's going to be primarily focused on an individual character uh, and his adventures, uh, that that is really compelling to me. Yeah. Uh, when's the last time Brubaker did any like, Batman comics, I guess? Daredevil? like Captain America. Captain America? It's... So it's been a minute, I feel like, since he's really attacked, attacked the genre. And so him kind of doing his own spin on it uh, his own way without having, like, a you know, giant comic book company to supervise what he's going to do or whatever. It's uh, really interesting. It doesn't sound like he's necessarily a superhero, Fair. though. It sounds, yeah. it sounds like a Mission Impossible sort of, hmm. you know man against the world type of thing exactly yeah and i and i was referring more to the idea that they're they're kind of like sticking with one specific character to tell these stories uh which is not what they typically do Mm. and and the last time we saw ed you know stick with one character for a little while was uh with captain america um criminal is probably the closest they come to where there are recurring characters but um, there are so many different characters that get focused on, um, and they weave in and out of who the main character is in any given arc, uh, that that's a very different beast than this. But um, the fact that this will be a series of graphic novels, again, is very unique in that they can do, 
you know, like we talked about uh, Cruel Summer, they can do that. They can also do, you know, the serialized weekly thing like they did with Kill or Be Killed or whatever else they do. This is a huge uh, ask and investment on the part of fans to say, okay, we're going to buy this $20 plus graphic novel, but that won't even be the whole story. There will be more adventures with this character to come. It's like uh, it's asking an audience to trust a creative team on reputation and and familiarity alone. Hmm. Well, I think the thing about it is it's, you know, it's like the, the, the thing that stands out to me in the way he described it is the, the comparison to Jack Reacher. So I don't necessarily see it as uh, a story that necessarily continues, but one that is a story and then there's another story. Right. Yeah. You know, less less like the serialized comic book and more of just a guy's adventures. I think that's a, that's a good point. That's a good uh, that's a good way to kind of um, make that distinction. And I'm I'm very intrigued by that as well because I feel like comics don't have. It, it's kind of weird to say this. Um, I don't feel like comics have a lot of that. Like, not I don't I don't think they do anymore. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think I think the way, especially the American market, has evolved. I think uh, it's gone so deep with these characters. I think you have to start assuming um, life, you know, versus like Indiana Jones, where you can have three movies and the other one we won't talk about, and they're still full adventures. Right. You know, that movie's good. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, keep it to yourself. Nobody wants to hear it. Whereas traditionally, you know, you'll get like a run on a character and it'll be super long and then someone else picks up the baton. But for, you know, yeah. creators to stick with a character, tell a story, and then tell another story that's not necessarily connected to the prior one, very unique. And I, I'm excited for this. Um, these, mm. you know, we talked earlier about creators telling long stories, decade plus stories. I'm more intrigued by decades plus long relationships between creators. And mm-hmm. Andrew Baker and Sean Phillips are one of the only examples of that in comics. Yeah. Um, uh, frequent collaborators. I like that too. Uh, you don't, you don't see that a ton. Obviously the, I think of like Frank Whiteley and Grant Morrison, uh, Gary Frank and Jeff Johns is another really good one. Yeah. Give me three more. I don't know if I can off the top of my head. Um, Rick Remender you, and Greg Tuccini. That's a good one. Um, uh, Bendis and Believe. Believe. Yeah, Bendis and Believe. Stop Malieve. helping him. Oh, sorry. He's my lifeline. I used it. <laughs> Twice? That doesn't count. Mm, that's your opinion. It's my game. All right. Uh, Get Ben and Dematis. Good one. Sure. All right, I'll give you that one. But, uh... You know what this kind of reminds me of? Uh, it kind of, kind of reminds me of uh, the Hellboy model, where it's like a long-spanning yeah. series, yeah. but the titles aren't specifically narratively tied together, but it's like a broader narrative, you know? Right. You know Hellboy's like beats and locations and supporting cast, but each story isn't really directly linked to each other. There might be some threads, but that's about it. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. And I think for the industry, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out because this could be a model for future creators uh, to put their to put their stories out. And I and I do think you know you mentioned um, that it's asking for for fans to trust the creative team. Brubaker and Phillips have a relationship of twenty years that uh, is rock solid, and they've earned that trust over time. Would audiences trust this if it were not Brubaker and Phillips? You know, um, Brubaker and Phillips have conditioned their their readers to try different things, and mm-hmm. I think that this will work for them. But what about some other people? It, it's like when we ask our listeners to trust a collaboration between Bartley and Casey. Like listeners know they're getting quality, and then they can just <laughs> trust it wholeheartedly. But not necessarily a, a collaboration between who? Well, you know, Kunalata and Bessie can't trust that collaboration. <laughs> of course, you pick the two people that aren't here. That's right. You coward. I'm reminded, though, of um, uh, DC. They Was it the 2016 Comic-Con? They said that uh, they were going to focus on stories that were outside of the continuity, or that didn't necessarily have to be tied to continuity. That was yeah. like their DCU project. Yeah. Well, well I think we, no, it might have been after that. It's, uh, I think that was specifically referring to Earth One. Oh, sure. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, but they they touted that like it was going to be the, the their model going forward. And it didn't really work that was that was like dcu because that's what led to all the back to meat and potato comics but like a lot of the narrative was saying things like we're not gonna be so strict with continuity and things like that yeah and i I think i think specifically when you're talking about week to week superhero Mm -hmm. stuff uh i don't personally believe that that will work but when you're talking about graphic novels when you're talking about something that's specifically outside of continuity uh sure and the earth one books have had some success uh in their quality which i think is also critically important um and they've proven that you can if you take top creators and you let them tell the story that they want to tell and give them their own playground to work in that you can get good stories out of that. But again, they're playing with familiar IP. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a brand new character. This is a brand new world. It's not even necessarily a world in the same way that, you know, uh, DC or Marvel's a world, right? Um, so I, there's a there's a there's a gulf of difference in my mind between like Green Lantern Earth Two, which is about to drop, that's right, and something like this, or Volume One, uh, Earth One Volume Two. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very pulpy. Yes, well, that's, that's what Brew Baker says he likes, right? Yeah, that dime store, not not that dime uh, novel shit. I I feel like this is something Marco would really really like. That's a fact. That is absolutely a fact. Um, and uh, hopefully he hears this and and decides he wants to buy it too. Mm. Uh, so let's let's move along and let's talk about well, let's talk about a bad idea. 
<laughs> I mean, the comics pile's 198 episodes. That's not a great one. Ah, come on. Me um, trying to wear a shirt that's a size too small throughout this episode. <laughs> you know what? That's a bad idea. That is a bad idea. You guys remember uh, the old um, Pinky and the Brain show? They would have those little segments. Good, <laughs> good idea. Good idea. Bad idea. Yeah. So I got a good idea and I got a bad idea for you. Here's a good idea. Skiing down a mountain with snow. No. Bad idea. Alright, let me get let me get through this. So good idea. Hire a talented artist to work on your books to bring attention to your stories. Good idea. Hire said talented artist, but pretend that you didn't. Bad idea. And share his artwork anyways, <laughs> and have said artist pretend that uh, he doesn't work for you. Great idea. <laughs> that is a real thing. So here's what I'm talking about. This was weird. Bad Idea Comics is, of course, the new uh, comics company. That is run by the dude who used to run Valiant, Dinesh Shamdasani. Uh, it's also run by Hunter Gorenson, Warren Simmons, Adam Free- Freeman, Joshua Johns, and all types of different people. Um, they've got a thing called the uh, the button. And it's this promotion that they do where if you press the button enough times... Uh, you will get to see a uh, unique piece of, of, of teaser artwork. So they showed off a piece of artwork that was allegedly from Ramon Villalobos, uh, which we could only see because people hit the button 80 million times, which, huh. okay, wow. yeah, I don't know if I even believe that. Now, <laughs> Villalobos went on to Twitter to uh, say, you know, what is this? Uh, he, this is the actual exchange. He said, what is this? And then Warren Simons, who works for Bad Ideas, said, some pretty impressive art the button has access to, apparently. Anything you want to let us know. And Villa Lobo's response, I'm so confused. Who drew this, LOL? Does kind of look like something I would do. Oh, to no. which Warren replied, it's very much in your style. The button probably should have written inspired by. Uh. Ramon then took to Twitter to release a video uh, in which he expressed that he did not draw that art and that uh, this was a lie on the part of Bad Idea Comics that uh, they were trying to make it seem like um, he did this artwork that he didn't do it and they were using his name to promote art that wasn't his. Of course... This ignited Twitter. Of course, there were people who came out to the defense of Villalobos to say that this is a wrong thing to do, uh, that bad idea was not trying to get in touch with him, and that, uh, you know, this, this is a very weird move on their part. Um, we had tweets from people like Kimoda1977, who said, Ramon is saying oh, he didn't shit. draw this, and you guys won't respond to his messages. Comics fans have a long memory, and we don't like seeing creators taken advantage of. Can you please respond to Ramon? I buy a ton of comics, and I support new publishers. Please do the right thing by Ramon. 
Even Chris Arant, the head honcho over at Newsarama, said, wait, did they use your artwork without your permission for marketing? To which Ramon responded, I don't know whose art this is. Now, that's bad, right? It's bad if Bad Idea Comics is using someone's art without their consent or even worse, having an unknown artist draw in the style of another artist and say, hey, this is actually, you know, Ramon's artwork when it's really not. Uh, well, as it turns out, that's not quite what they did. Oh, no. What they did is this is all a marketing ploy. This is all a strategy. Villa Lobo and and Bad Idea have come out and said that this was just a way to drum up interest in their books. They're doing a WWE style uh you know to work promo work. Yeah, to work. They worked comics Twitter into a frenzy in order to drum up interest in what they are doing. Which is crazy. That is absolutely insane. (laughs) I love it. I mean, they're going to need it. The attention, right? This is the company that's only releasing in like eight comic shops or some bullshit across the country. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This is them. Uh, I think I don't know if it's I don't know how many it is. I don't know if it's more than eight. But yeah, uh, that's that's this is them. Yeah, I feel like it was like twenty or something. Yeah. How uh, how how people responded to being bamboozled? I got you. So, <laughs> uh, once this was revealed, once people found out the truth, we got uh, several tweets. Mark Lombardi said, "Dumbest effing thing ever." My interest in this company and their books went from five percent to zero percent in an hour. Boy, oh boy, I'm sure uh, they will miss you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark is right, dude. Uh, Ren Fam- Ren famous Ren famous uh, hmm. said, "This is legitimately one of the worst marketing strategies I've ever seen. It's like someone got effed up on amphetamines and decided they were going to goodwill hunting themselves through a digital marketing campaign." All right, uh, and Aaron A. Alvarez, the one of the f- earlier people who came to the defense. Of Ramon said, so incredibly disappointed in the people who thought this was a good way to market books. Oh, we'll just pretend some art is being stolen. Her. Hey, so F any publisher that thinks drumming up fake controversy is the way to market your material. The pros who are cool with this, you should know better. My concern for the industry, my concern for the industry won't be monetized so you can sell off a few gimmick ass <laughs> books. They I feel worked. two ways about this. They got work, dude. <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. So, is it a good idea to do this? Probably not. I wouldn't say so. But as a wrestling fan, as a person who regularly accepts kayfabe, I gotta say, you gotta lighten up. I, I, I feel, to me, you gotta lighten up a little bit. I don't think it's that serious. Like, I understand that comics fans are very uh, protective of the creators, and I understand that that's the culture that we have um, cultivated. But 
you know, if you were manipulated a little bit into believing something that wasn't really happening, and then they came forward and told you, hey, you know, it was a work, you got you got played, I think you can just laugh it off. I don't think you have to take everything that seriously, and I feel like that's all Comics Twitter ever does. I gotta tell you, I, I'm a fan of this. I think it's really funny. <laughs> I, I went know, from man. having a 0% interest to, like, a 10% interest. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, just saying, it worked. It worked for me. I mean, does this make you more inclined to go search out their books? Yeah, between... Because you, you two are probably at least within the realm of possibility of getting one of these 20 shops to get their books. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm I, I'm more interested than I was before. Furthermore, um, I gotta tell you, all these guys on Twitter crying their eyes out, like <laughs> it's kind of funnier, you know. <laughs> they just sound like a bunch of dorks. And I and I am so happy that you know they had this sympathy for Ramon. If this were real, yes, um, of course. I guess you know. I guess. You know, they probably felt bad that their emotions were played with, but like literally every single week, like a few weeks ago, one of the biggest things that people were talking about was the idea that Rey Mysterio may have lost his eye <laughs> in a wrestling match. It was, Sean, it was in his hand. <laughs> you can't tell me that wasn't his eye. Tell me, the only thing, you were in WWE's hand that day. And I guess I guess the counter argument to that is, well, we know that wrestling isn't real, and we know that whatever we see on Raw is fake. But that often extends beyond the confines of the show. There, there are tons of examples of you know uh, situations that looked real but weren't real that didn't happen on Raw or SmackDown mm-hmm. uh, between wrestlers or between wrestling personalities. Or people outside of wrestling, you know? What hap- What did you think in the 90s when Hulk Hogan went on Jay Leno? You know, did you think all that was real? Uh, did you write hate mail to uh, Jay Leno for working you over? For, for making you think that Hulk Hogan was really mad at him? You know, I don't know. I did write hate mail to him, but it wasn't because uh, he brought Hulk Hogan on. It's just because I thought Jay Leno was bad. <laughs> <laughs> when, I was, when I was eight, nine years old, I liked Jay Leno. Fair. Then I learned better. Yeah, I was a Letterman kid, and then I learned better. <laughs> hey, Hulk, hey, Hulkster, your arms are really big, huh? What's, what's the deal with that, huh? <laughs> All right, I love that one. Um, but uh, that's, that's a Jay Leno impression. Yeah, that was an example of a bad idea. I don't know. Now I think it's a good idea, guys. You got the name of your company wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so we now know who will be directing Captain Marvel 2. Uh, Ramon Villalobos. <laughs> oh, what's West? Sorry. Uh, Nia DaCosta is going to be directing the second edition of Captain Marvel. Uh, this is monumental because she is the first black woman to be directing a, an MCU movie. Uh, yeah. She directed and co-wrote the Candyman reboot, which is on the horizon. Um, it's a horror movie. And oh, so that's kind of movie. that's kind of interesting. Um, Hold on, I want to hear what Phil's joke was. <laughs> Go ahead. Come on, Phil. 
thought it was a sweet movie. <laughs> this is this is awful. Worth it. It was worth it. Is what you mean? Yeah. Uh, she also worked on Little Woods and directed Top Boy, which is a British TV show. Uh, not much other than this is known. We don't know anything about what Captain Marvel Two is going to be. Uh, you know, we have an idea that it'll take place in current times, but uh, we don't really know much else. I I wasn't in love with the original Captain Marvel. Uh, I didn't feel like it uh, it did enough to establish her as a character. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't love the movie. But that being said, I am interested in a second one because I always feel like with number twos, you get you get to take the chains off, and I think mm-hmm. Captain Marvel was very much chained in the first one. So I'm hopeful that, especially it being a uh, taking place in a you know being a period piece, I guess. Um, I felt the same way about Wonder Woman as I did about Captain Marvel. I want to see them both mm. in modern times. I don't want to see them in the past, and I think they were held back by the fact that they were taking place in the past and that we already kind of knew what could and could not happen. You know, uh, if in Captain Marvel. One, if Nick Fury is there, that means that he can't die. His life's not at risk because it takes place in the 90s. Not that I think Nick Fury is going to die in a movie, but it takes some of the heat away because you know that there are certain restrictions. Uh, so, yeah. But I, I'm into the idea of Captain Marvel 2 for sure. But, again, the fact that the director is a is a black woman is not, like, all right, now I know the movie's going to be good. You know, that doesn't change anything for me. Did she, uh, did I see headlines that she wrote it as well? That she wrote Candyman? Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel 2? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't, I don't even know that the movie is written yet, but, uh, from what I see, uh, all I'm seeing is that, uh, she's directing it. Okay, maybe I misread it then. Maybe uh, maybe you read something that I didn't read, but yeah. How do you guys feel about this? It's yeah, I mean it's cool. Uh, boy, it feels like like MCU movies. Like the pandemic is like really put a hard pause on this, which I'm not complaining about. I wanted, I've expressed when Phase Four was announced that I wanted a pause, but like everything feels kind of halted you know yeah so this this announcement feels like it's decades away even though it's probably a year or two away at most um i know it's cool i didn't have strong feelings about the first captain marvel movie i thought it was just kind of a middle of the road marvel movie i thought it was totally fine and good but you know there are a lot of people who really like that movie, and it was really meaningful for them. We had Jess on, Kale's wife, during the review of that, and she really expressed how important and meaningful that movie was to her. Uh, so, you know, while I, I didn't get a lot out of it, I acknowledge and respect that other people did. So, um, this is, uh, I think this is all in all good news. Yeah. I think I think it's good news, uh, and uh, I'm hopeful that Nia DaCosta can 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 pull it off. Uh, Kale, I assume you you're into this. Yeah, no, this rules. Yeah, this absolutely rules. 
Cool. Uh, well, my question at this point in the show is, does Empire number four rule? No. And we're gonna we're gonna okay, show over. Well, we're gonna we're gonna discuss it. that, and we're gonna make that determination here in our review of Empire number four. Okay, so we've got Empire number four. Uh, this, of course, by Al Ewing and Dan Slott. Al Ewing actually uh, getting script credit here. Uh, Valerio Schiti and uh, Marta Gracia on colors. So, we've talked about kind of being iffy on this book so far. This issue didn't change that for me. Didn't change that for me. Uh, we get a conversation between Mantis, Qua, and Swordsman. Uh, we get, uh, She-Hulk, the, I guess the big, you know, the big reveal here, which is really not much of a a reveal is that She-Hulk is indeed, you know, taken over by one of these plant monsters, one of the Kotati. Uh, and then the issue ends on what is supposed to be a shocker, something that Marvel really, really wanted to get over. Uh, the idea that Hulkling and Wiccan are married. At some point, they decided to get married. So those are the big hits from this issue. And to be frank, I didn't care about any of it. The body horror, the yes. whole part was cool. That looks great. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that was that was all right. That was all right. Um, ah. I don't know, guys. I don't know. Um, that is it. Like, okay, I feel like I've been extra down on this book. I've been, I've been, you know, quite negative, and I don't, you know, want to be that person. But like, so the reason that no one could tell that She Hulk was overtaken by this monster is because she's green. Listen. Well, if you eat too much salad, Sean, you're gonna turn green. No, listen. Kermit the Frog said it best. He said it's not easy being green, and that's very clear here. And then, instead of just like annihilating everyone, she talks and talks and talks. It's everyone in this book did that's. It's if the dialogue weren't so coherent, it would be a Bendis book. <laughs> It's just like I don't, I don't know, and 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 again, like maybe in another book, I would accept that, like that she oh she's green, so they couldn't tell that she was overtaken, but because I'm already feeling not so hot on this, that kind of thing is just like oh my god, you have ha- you have to be kidding me right now. It, it I don't think it was that bad. Uh, honestly, this issue. I don't think it was that bad at all. I think this was the strongest of the five issues we've had to read. I'm not saying it was great or anything, or even good, but I think this is the best one we've had so far. However, that kind of, you know, subversion of, like, ah, our allies, actually, our enemy twist has been done in a major Marvel event before. I think of the Black Widow, no, uh, Elektra, in Secret Invasion, where it turns out she's a scroll. that, that actually didn't happen in Secret Invasion. What book was it? That was Avengers. a random new Avengers, new Avengers. issue. For, really? Yeah. yeah. That that was the yeah. catalyst for Secret Invasion. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah. 
Like we've seen. I think the big deal for Secret Invasion was that it was the scroll. Jessica Drew was the scroll Spider queen. Woman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nevertheless, we've seen this kind of thing before. So as a beat, <laughs> I didn't really care about it. Uh, but it was fine, and I think Kale's right in saying that like the body horror element looked cool. And when you go in the indexes of the issue, and you kind of see the the, the, the design of it. it it's I, I appreciate it. I, I think it's pretty neat. Um, I forgot. And and I think I felt like this issue moved things along the most. I just don't think anything particularly uh, unique is happening here. Like so, in the beginning of the issue, we have Hulkling, uh, like basically says, "Go blow up, you know, Earth's sun." And Cal Danvers is like, you're not really Hulkling. And then, oh, it's a genetic match. But then later Wiccan is like, I don't think that was him. That seems weird. Well, and also we know that the uh, the current scroll Empress or whatever is his grandmother. So, of course, it's a genetic match. Like, duh. Right. In addition to that, the last issue ended with some kind of nefarious plot from her, right? So, like, we, yeah. we know... It, it, I think narratively it'd probably be a lot more satisfying if we didn't know these things. Um, or maybe even if it came out monthly. Like, the fact that we read this last week is right. actually kind of... <laughs> I think that could be affecting it, too. Um, but as, like, a story, it's fine. It moved, it moved the most. Uh, this... I'll tell you what, though. The Fantastic Four Avengers stuff is still not doing anything for me. Tony's like, oh... <laughs> I sent Thor on a quest because that's what he does. I just make suits. That's my thing. I slapped a four on this one. It, it yeah. The the Avengers and Fantastic Four have just been completely stupid this entire book. I think the the book almost works fine if you just remove all those characters from it. Yeah. Um, if you kept like Captain Marvel and obviously Hulkling and Wiccan, I think that's probably. Really, the extent of the Earth's heroes we really need in this, it feels like. The the other thing, though, the other thing, I don't know. Like, I keep wanting to go back to the She-Hulk thing because she was savage before. And then she wasn't. As soon as she picked up the hammer and no one thought, oh, wow, that's really odd that that would happen. Why did that happen? Thor said, hey, Jen, are you okay? <laughs> You know, like, it's just so crazy how transparent that was. And I guess, you know, not everything has to be a shocking reveal, but I feel like if I were present, I could have figured it out, you know, and I'm not Iron Man. So this was supposed to be shocking. Like, right. Um, Reed Richards has been thinking for four straight issues. (laughs) He didn't figure that out. (laughs) Tony has been thinking for four straight issues. Reed has been walking around contemplating why Tony can't get his shit together. <laughs> and stretching his neck for no reason. <laughs> We've been talking about how these characters are useless. Literally for like three issues, Tony's been at a desk thinking and feeling sorry for himself, and Reed's been walking around contemplating stretching his limbs unnecessarily. Yeah. The most intelligent and arguably powerful characters have done nothing throughout this entire series. And I haven't actually seen a reason why they can't just, like, thrash all these villains. Like, none of them are, like, okay, you know, we read uh, Infinity and, you know, 
that was pretty crazy. You had the builders, you had all that, all that madness, Jonathan Hickman stuff. And I could see why Thor couldn't just waltz in and kill everyone. But here it's kind of like, these are plants. I don't, I don't get the threat. <laughs> uh, well, uh, they can't get their pesticides. <laughs> like, what if? Th- so this this conversation that that they have with Qua that goes south. What if Thor and Cap and Iron Man were there instead of She Hulk, Invisible Woman, and Thing? Well, they did that already, and they got their asses handed to them. Apparently, what oh, did yeah. happen? They got. Held in place by a tree. They got trapped in a tree. Yeah. Oh, great. This is why you eat your vegetables, so that the vegetables don't turn on you and trap you, even though you're one of Earth's mightiest mortals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're lucky that, they're lucky that tree didn't, like, replace their, uh, their cells with chlorophyll or whatever. Like, what happened to She-Hulk in that exposition? Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to know why... She-Hulk was replaced, it's, you know, they got to her mitochondria, and the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Everybody knows that. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's that's um, good. The, so, this big reveal, which is supposed to be Wiccan and Hulkling's wedding, mm-hmm. is a real disservice to those characters. That fucking sucks. Wow. <laughs> like, it, their wedding happens off-panel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that that's, I, I don't think, I don't think. Is this off panel since we're seeing it? Right. It's, so it's, it's not off panel because we're seeing it, but also I think that it's supposed to be a shock and then they're going to show us probably more from it. And I, I, I feel like there was going to be a, an issue that was going to deal with that separately, but I could be, I could be mistaken. I thought I had read that. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, I think that's fine. I don't see. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's you know that's whatever. Um, but for two characters who have been in a relationship with each other for the longest time to be married is not that is it's not crazy. I guess I guess it's supposed to be a big deal because they're uh, gay. But again, they've had several gay. Uh, marriages before we've we've had gay marriages before they already got their press for that in the past so and and these characters have been together forever so for me them being married is not different than them being boyfriend and boyfriend i don't care it's great bro i gotta tell you you know i didn't know that was a shocking twist i was just like oh they're married okay i guess that happened before (laughs) i only well i go ahead like i i i was creeping around comics twitter and like you know they were talking about the big shock right. and there was a wedding and i was like okay well, that's pretty weird maybe it's you know claws gonna marry mantis or some shit I, that would be pretty weird that would be shocking you're right but like this is like that's not it's it's not nothing but like this reveal is nothing like it's good that they're doing it, it that's great i love that this isn't a shocking reveal. <laughs> That's the thing. Everywhere I went on the internet, it was, you know, oh, oh my god, what a big shock. Um, but it's it's not. Like issue five is gonna um issue five is gonna delve in more into the wedding and, and all that good stuff. And I unless there is something about their wedding or about uh, their union that is gonna be specifically relevant to what's happening here, I don't feel like 
stopping the the momentum that issue four generated to show us their wedding in issue five is the way to go. Do a one do a one shot. Show us the wedding if you really want us to see it, and and keep things moving in the core event. Here's the twist, the real twist. Qua was the minister that married the two of them. What? <laughs> That's it, Phil. The place is covered in plants. <laughs> That's right. They're pla- the plants are plants. Also, why is it that in the final page that Cassie Lang specifically has to be tall for us to see her powers? <laughs> How do you know she's not? How do you know she's Cassie, Cassie Lang if she's not tall, Sean? Like, come on, man. Use your brain, Sean. It's just like Reed. Every panel with Reed is him just freaking stretching his neck out. <laughs> like, if, uh, if I had Reed's powers, that's not what I would be doing. And if you go to page... my dick out. If you go to page 13, it looks like he's stretching his gut out. Yeah, man. He just ate a big burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Too much sashimi, brother. <laughs> But, uh, no, so I enjoyed the Hulkling parts to a degree. I feel like he flipped on the dime a little too fast, so I'm not sure if that really is him or not. Uh, it would be weird if this book said, oh, that hasn't been Hulkling the whole time, or at some point he got swapped out. I feel like that would be kind of um, taking away from his journey. Because we're supposed to be seeing him coming into his own. And if he gets swapped, then that negates him as a character. At least for the fir- for the few issues that we've had so far. Um, so I would not appreciate that. But if it, it really is him, the idea that he's made this decision that he's going to do whatever's necessary. And he's, you know, trying this out um, in terms of him as a leader. I'm cool with that. Fine. Sure. If we're, I think, say. I think it'll be more along the lines of it's a move by the Empress to uh, get Captain Marvel and Johnny Storm out of there because they're clearly huge influences to how he's thinking. You know, he Hulkling's an Earth hero; they're the best of the Earth heroes. You know, they got to get them out of there. I will say because, like, I'm reading each issue. And I'm really interested in the idea of them trying to make him, you know, a player. Yes. I'm into them trying to make him an A or B lister. Totally down with that. This doesn't, this feels like a disservice to that road. This feels like WWE booking, where it's like they're skipping beats to try to achieve those means. Um, because him switching on a dime like this, mm. it, do, it feels unprovoked. And if it turns out it's not really him or whatever, then that undermines his undermines him as a character and he doesn't feel relevant. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to convey. I I I again, I I I love Al Ewing. I think he's super talented. I feel like there every single thing that's happened in this book is fine. It's the delivery and the execution that I've had a problem with. It's the dialogue. It's how to get from point A to point B. Why is it that um Hulkling goes to sleep, wakes up, and decides that now he's a douchebag. Um, you know, why is Clerk talking about his hidden fifth power, the power of irresistible hypnotism? 
Like that just sounds ridiculous. The art, the art for that is cool as hell. Well, yeah, that was my favorite part. That looked cool. Uh, Sean, I've got a problem with what you said. You don't like the dialogue, Qua. I'm calling you telepathically in the <laughs> the obvious telepathic comic balloon bubbles. Nope. That doesn't do it for you. Nope. That's a lot of telling and not showing. Yeah. Uh, it I, I, I said you know early on it, uh, with all all this dialogue and and the wordiness on the page I I I wondered if Ewing doesn't know his collaborators well enough to trust them to put stuff on the page so he's just writing everything I I'm feeling that more and more as we go on um. Also, like, it feels like they're repeating story beats. Granted, I haven't been reading the tie-ins, but apparently Mantis has already had a conversation with Qua, right? That, that happened in one of the tie-ins. It was telepathically or whatever. So to do it... A, Celestial Messiah. To do yeah. that here feels repetitive. I understand what the intent was. The real intent was to have She-Hulk show up in Wakanda with the big reveal that she's not She-Hulk. That's fine. But to repeat the beats of having Mantis trying to reason with Qua, that's wasting panels, that's wasting pages. For saying that it's already right. been done at a time. When you collect all of this in the end, you're gonna feel like you've read the same thing twice. And it would and it would be it would be fine if it was executed better. You know, we already know that Mantis is a telepath. Even if you don't know that when you show panels or, or, or word balloons the way that they did in that panel that Kale referenced, the implication is that that is telepathy. We know that. So you don't have to say it's telepathy. Yeah. This is simple stuff. I feel like Ewing is overcompensating and he's doing a thing that a lot of writers do where it's like, I have this space, I'm going to use it. You know, whereas a lot of these moments would be more impactful if they didn't have dialogue or if they had dialogue that was something else you know for mantis to ask what just happened after they got blasted by she hulk i kind of feel like what just happened is clear (laughs) like you you experienced it it happened to you i think you know (laughs) it'd be like in okay uh in civil war I'm, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta throw this out there. In Civil War, the Thor clone blasts everybody, and Invisible mm. Woman comes out of nowhere and saves everyone. And she doesn't say, "No, oh damn, you blasted everybody." <laughs> yeah, no one says, "Oh, what just happened?" The clone Thor, <laughs> he he used one of his shockwaves to blast us. But Invisible Woman saves us with one of her <laughs> shields. And then she doesn't say, yes, I used one of my uh, invisible shields to shield everyone, but I couldn't save everybody. Let's get out of here now. That's not the line of dialogue. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And because that doesn't happen, that moment has weight. You take the weight away when you overcompensate with lots and lots of dialogue. <laughs> the last Avengers movie, you just have like... Uh, Peter Quill. Oh my god, he picked up Thor's hammer! <laughs> <laughs> Turns to the camera. Did you guys see that? Or when, yeah, when all the Avengers come through the portal and Cap says, alright, everybody's here? 
Everybody came through the portal. Everybody's he, here. He pulls out a clipboard. Hold on, hold on. Let's do a roll call. <laughs> Is the first war machine here from Iron Man 1? Is he here? No? Somebody go go back and get Don Cheadle. No? Who is it? Hold on, it'll come. What's his name? <laughs> you stupid piece of shit. That is amazing. That is amazing. His last name is Howard? Terrence hey. Howard. We got there in the end. Oh my god. All black people look alike. Is hey. that what it is? Well, they have different names, Sean. Uh, yeah, so all in all, I am still feeling like I don't love this book. Um, I, but I'm so ready and willing for for me to feel better about it. I thought the last issue kind of solved some of the dialogue problems. Uh, for my own education, I'm actually going to see here which writer was credited with this scripting. On uh, He's been Al Ewing the whole time. Has he been Al Ewing? Okay. So. Yeah, it yeah. was it was also all Ewing. Yep, I think Ewing and Slot have only been putting this the story together. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. So that's where I'm at with this series. I'm not in love with it. I don't think that what they've done so far has been uh, terribly interesting, and I think that it's being bogged down by excess dialogue, and especially. Uh, when that when that dialogue isn't so great, it really stands out that it's too much. So that's me. It's fine at best. Uh, like this issue, I really I think it's the best one so far. But man, that's not saying a lot. And it's not like this is issue four, right, Sean? Yeah, four of, four six. of six. Like it feels like we're not. This should have happened in issue two. I feel like all this stuff. So mm. I don't know what's going on with the pacing. Tyler Olson and anyone else that's a big fan of this book, let us know why. Yeah, please. I would love to hear your thoughts. I want to know what it is that you're getting out of this that I and the rest of the pals are not because so far I'm just not feeling it. I don't get it. I don't. <clears throat> um, but uh, let, let's let's talk about Strange Adventures number four. Love Stranger Things. Uh, you're going to make the same joke again, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you guys you guys could do this show without me, man. Like You are having a, a ball. Um, Maybe we should. Oh my god! Maybe we should. Why don't you go away for a while? I will be going away, actually. Yeah, so you will get that chance. Um, I will be too, though. Is the problem? So yeah, that's true. One man. So uh, Tom King, Mitch Jarrods, Doc Shaner. You guys know the routine by now. I gotta say, I like this issue. I enjoyed it. This one was a lot stronger for me than everything that's come before. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is the best issue. Yep. I uh, was talking about it with Kale while we were before we started the episode, and I was I was impressed. This oftentimes I feel like the allusions to uh, Adam Strange's past adventures, uh, the ones that are illustrated by Doc Shaner, have been always consistently strong. It's been mm-hmm. the stuff that uh, takes place in the current day. That Mr. Rads does, and that's not a discredit to Mitch, Mitch's art. His art is consistently great. It's just that narratively, it's been very dissatisfying, especially right. in like issue two where it was just meandering. This had the most agency behind it. This issue, things moved, and like yeah. when there was action, it felt like it felt satisfying. Like 
this by far was the most interesting issue with Mr. Terrific, for instance. Hmm. Like, I actually was yeah. intrigued by what he was doing. There's actually intrigue now, because you can't access the the plurt files or whatever they're called. Picket. Picket. The picket. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm with you, Sean. Yeah, I think there was a lot to like here. Um, I, I, I'm very, I really like Mr. Terrific in this issue way more than I did prior. Um, he is, Tom did a lot. Tom did a lot with a little. I think the, the, the issue that we got that focused more on Mr. Terrific, it, it, it didn't serve him all that well because it was too much of the same repetitive beats here he got down to business you know he was he and we got to see yeah you know how serious he's taking this whole thing you know he's not playing around um and i really like that um and we got smaller moments where his personality was shown like when he sings the song you know um that's cool that did more those moments when he when he slaps the guy when he slaps the guy that told me more about who Mr. Terrific is than anything that happened in the in the one issue that we got that focused on him before agreed that yeah. that's the kind of thing i want to see most of the time in in a situation like that a hero gets slapped he stays slapped and mm-hmm. mr terrific didn't do that and i love that and not just that he slapped back you know, Sardath, who is, like, one of the most important people on Ron. So, like, yeah. you know, yeah, it, like, he doesn't recognize authority for being authority. You know, respect is respect kind of thing. Right. Fair play. Fair play. That's exactly right. And that really, that tied together really well with his whole thing. That was, that was excellent. Uh, and now there's, like, a real, there's a mystery that I care about that, you know, and Heroes in Crisis never gave a damn about whatever mystery they were trying to set up. Here, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, there are papers that he can't read. He talks about how he was able to read the propaganda that Ron is peddling out, and, like, he sees through the bullshit. Now it's like, so what really happened? Right. Yeah, I I can't help but what what drags me down about this issue, and and uh, similar to you guys, I like this one a lot, well, a lot more. Uh, what drags me down about it is still just that it feels like we're behind. You know this 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 is issue two. Like I I don't like like we said about Mister Terrific like this. All of this says more about Mr. Terrific than that whole issue featuring Mr. Terrific. Right. And it, I just, I, I feel like we should be further along than this. I think that's totally fair, especially because issue three also felt like it was screeched to a kind of standstill. Um, I, I don't think they served narratively a too much purpose because even here, the stuff that's happening with Adam, I, I like, like it justifies, like he goes. I really like that Tom went out of his way to explain why he can't be on Ron right now. Like, Superman explains why he can't fly him there. Green Lantern explains why he can't fly him there. They explain why any means of technology isn't good enough to get him there. Uh, You could think of things like, you know, um, Dr. Fate or whatever, but presumably maybe he doesn't have a really good relationship with him. Like, I like that Tom went out of his way for 
Adam to try to find ways to get back as quickly as he can, and there are explanations for why he can't. When it added stakes. It added stakes, too. Which which also carried over, I think, to the Mr. Terrific stuff, which also helped that, you know, not that that stuff was, uh, wasn't strong enough on its own, but it the, those stakes sort of carried over. You know, like it felt like we might have might be learning something that happened during that time or something, but it, it those those stakes felt like they carried over and it made the whole thing more exciting and more uh, exhilarating to read, more interesting to read. I I was a little first of all before I get into anything else. Did you guys notice Tom King in the issue? Yeah, and Mitch is here too. Doc Shaner or Doc? Yeah. Yeah, I did not catch. Doc. I couldn't. I couldn't find uh, Mitch, but I know he's in here somewhere. Doc is in uh, just as. Um, oh, I see it. Now. Uh, as Adam is yeah, leaving, he's behind Hal Jordan, and yeah. then, uh, oh, I think M- Mitch is at the top of that page. And oh the, yes, he is. The bartender. Yeah, that's funny. I so like that. They're all there. I like that. Um, Which is funny because Tom King is Adam Strange. <laughs> Remember, I think it was last yes, issue. Yes. So maybe I'm maybe I'm lost. That's and that's fine if it's true. So what is the reason why? So this is a flashback, right? Where where um, he's trying to get back to Rand, right? Yeah, supposedly. I mean, that's that's what we're led to believe all Doc Shaner's parts are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, because I I was I was thinking, you know, maybe he was trying to get back there in order to prevent uh, this this investigation. But I'm wondering what is what is Rand's reasoning for trying to keep Adam Strange and whatever happened there. A secret. Why Why all this secrecy? What is the propaganda about? I'm very curious, and my fear with this book has been the same since day one. That the, whatever the reasoning ultimately is, why um, Alana wants to keep things secret, and why she's playing her games, whatever the reason is why there's all these lies, is not going to live up to everything that we're seeing right now. That's one of my biggest fears with this book. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek Deep, Deep Space Nine. And probably it's racist. That's what I've learned about two alien cultures that are at war. It's probably race. You're going to have to give me more than that. The uh, my, my bet is Sardath was behind some picket genocide or some you know some shit and they've burned the picket library of alexandria or whatever and you know had a picket holocaust and he doesn't want mr terrific to know because ron will be the you know the center of a you know a galactic investigation or whatever maybe adam strange doesn't know maybe he wasn't supposed to um be there because he is an earth hero uh i could see this sort of leaning into maybe 
uh, Sardath knows when the Ron, uh, the Zeta beams that take Adam, that teleport Adam Strange back and forth. Maybe Sardath knows or controls how those um, work out. Mm. I can see that going that direction. Uh, but my bet is Ron is a bad guy. Right. I, 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 I kind of see where you're coming from. I, I feel like this is probably also drawing on Tom's experience with the CIA. Whereas uh. we look at American foreign policy in the Middle East and a lot of American propaganda about that, uh, those uh, wars in Afghanistan and Iraq paint the United States as liberators, uh, trying to free you know Iraq from Saddam Hussein and trying to feel free Afghanistan from the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Uh, and... You know, things aren't what they seem, because obviously what the United States has done in those countries is um, morally reprehensible. Um, and I feel like that's probably where Tom's coming in. Ron feels that Ron are great liberators. You know, they're defending themselves from the, the evil aliens. Adam Strange mm. is a war hero. He's directly connected to Sardath and Alana, right? That's her name? His wife? Yeah. Sardath's yeah. daughter? Yeah. So there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of media aspects to this. Um, so I feel like that's where that's coming. Now, the questions are, like, did Adam Strange do something fucked up himself? Like, did he right. do something reprehensible in war? Um, or, you know, is he is he not culpable for all this? I don't know. Like you, Sean, I am also nervous that uh, this that Tom's not going to stick the landing and create a satisfying uh, conclusion to this mystery. But the difference here that we've had the last three issues for me is at least there's intrigue. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is absolutely the case. Now, my other big fear with this book is that it won't, ultimately justify the 12 issues and we've talked about how you know prior issues have felt thin right and that's what happens you know there's a lot of there's a lot of three panel pages in this book and again you know that shows off the artwork and the artwork is brilliant and you know we're talking about some of the best artists in the industry that are working on this book and that's great but I don't want the book to be artificially lengthened by a lack of paneling in the book and, and, and sort of stretching out uh, this, this series by, you know, by, by lowering the amount of data we get per issue. Yep. And that's kind of what it feels like is happening here. Maybe not with this specific issue because I feel like this issue was meaty enough and it did give us a lot to chew on. Um, but – there's something about the way that Tom is dragging the information out that kind of does bother me still. Yep. Same. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is every issue seems to end on a, on a cliffhanger featuring Alana and one of the major players that does not get resolved in the next issue. No. Her meeting with Batman, they, they kind of abandoned that. Maybe. That's what it seems like. It could be something that... Well, but- it's very possible there's like an issue where it's like all these interactions she's had where it's like post mystery. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. it, yeah. Right. Like they could they could return to those things for sure, but the the fact that each issue ends that way and then the next one doesn't address that uh, is a little odd. 
didn't it wasn't there like a hidden camera or some shit like the TV there's a, a flashback to a, a, a TV interview or something on um, uh, when when she meets Batman uh, hang on sorry I'm trying to look it up I'm not sure yeah I don't I don't recall I feel I feel like they like immediately addressed it but it but your point being that it didn't pay off in any meaningful way yeah and then and 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 again here like there's a conversation between mr terrific and alana that i am pretty confident based on how we've seen them handle the the prior um cliffhangers that they will not address this in the next issue probably not yeah in in issue three it's a it's a uh uh fucking um Fox News anchor or whatever. I guess a CNN anchor is probably more uh, apt. Right. But it shows them talking, and the last uh, the last panel asks. Now I ask you, in the modern day, in your modern day America, is this how we treat our heroes? And it shows her blowing smoke into Batman's face. Yeah, and so my question is like, how did that conversation re- resolve? Did Batman just say, "All right, I'm going to head out"? <laughs> and, and just leave. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Don't but, you know that secondhand smoke causes cancer? I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really into it. Cautiously. I'm not throwing myself into it yet. Because I'm afraid that this will not pay off. Um... Uh, but I, I like this issue. If this issue, if we're just talking about this one issue, I think this was really strong, but mm-hmm. I have so many yeah. questions and so many things that I'm not resolved with that I'm, I'm hesitant. And I know that this is a 12 issue run and we are not even halfway through and that's fine, but I've been burned before. Yep. And so I'm just being cautious. Yes, uh, understandably so. I uh, obviously have been very negative about Tom. I was very negative about Tom when we reviewed the third issue. So i very, very trepidatious about what's next and if he can land the plane. Uh, I haven't been given a lot of evidence to suggest that he will be able to land the plane. Um, so we'll see. Phil, Phil you didn't like... Mr. Miracle, right? It's good, but it didn't pay off. Yeah. And that was the issue. Like, it, it didn't end super satisfyingly. Um, and I, I think it's fine on its own. My issue is I feel like we haven't deviated from what he's always doing enough. Like, it, mm. everything feels the same from him. Mm. Uh, and with decreasing results, diminishing results. So, hmm. yeah, I've been negative. I felt this issue was strong. I felt like it was unique. We'll see what he does. We're, at this point, a third of the way through now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just I just needed to do a little more. There are no clues so far that have been compelling. Like, there's... Ha- what, hmm. what type of mystery story has no clues? <laughs> Good one. I mean, we're only in the first third. 
you know? But give me something. Something. Anything yeah. to, to hang on to. I mean, in the first uh, – Phil, help me out here. In the first 10 minutes of Knives Out, don't we know who the killer was? Uh, no. I mean – Are you sure? Uh, like, like we know what happened. We just don't know the twist. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just – I feel like more could be done. Um, yeah. And – but we'll yeah. – yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think – I voiced last last time the the three panel thing, and it stood out to me again here. Um, and I love the art; the art is in absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, but I, just, I I need more from Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's a good place to wrap our conversation about Strange Adventures number four. Again, if you're feeling higher on this than we are, you know, without reservation, then we'd love to hear from you. Um, but I do think that issue five and probably more issue six is going to represent a lot for this series in terms of where it's going. And so I'm looking forward to it. Whereas before I wasn't necessarily, this issue did a lot for me and it addressed some of the problems that uh, we had spoke on in prior episodes of this podcast. Uh, let us know your thoughts about this issue. Let us know your thoughts about Empire and where that's going. Or anything else we talked about on this show, you can write to us at thecommercepals at gmail.com. You can get us on Discord. Of course, you can join our Discord and come hang out with us. We're always having a great time over there. And if you want us on social media, we are at the Comics Pals. On YouTube, you can drop us a comment, leave us a like, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content. All of those things are free to do. And they help us out a lot more than they cost you. And we really appreciate it. Go ahead and leave us a rating on your platform of choice. Those ratings help us out tremendously as well. If you haven't done that yet, just slide on over. It takes a quick second. And uh, again, uh, we would really be appreciative of that. So keep waiting and anticipating alongside us for episode 200. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. We've got a uh, giveaway coming so make sure that you guys stay tuned for that we will be posting a tweet uh, reiterating the details on how to be entered into the giveaway to win a house and powers hardcover from us and potentially a lego batman 3 uh, steam code so lots of fun stuff on the horizon let's get into the plugs kale Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Comics Pals. You can find Pete at loud underscore Pete. We have great news. His band, Long Time Friend Time. No. Long Friend long, Time long Friends. Time. I was close. Um, in fact, I think mine was better. <laughs> um, they did their Kickstarter thing. They did it. They're funded. Um, so congrats, fellas. Yeah, recording now. Um, It'll drop in the fall. I'm sure they'll want you to buy that. More news on that. Come. Get it on Bandcamp. Bandcamp don't steal. Uh, get it on Bandcamp on Fridays. Friday's the no steal day. Uh, you can find Pete and his video game podcast at loud underscore Pete. That's loud underscore Pete. Like Pete is loud underscore and Pete. The underscores is loudness. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, I started my dope ass Gundam this week. Um, so that is on our Comics Pals Instagram highlights. I don't know if I'm going to get to finish it this week, but I'm dang sure going to try. Um, otherwise, you can flush me down the jams at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. 
All right, Phil. Make sure you listen to our most recent book club we did, Earth X. That was a really good one. Just thought yes. of that. Uh, you can check out uh, Marco at, to- <laughs> at Toto and Toe <laughs> at Mr. Marco Inamoto. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and send those followers over to at Toto you, and Toe. You That's don't all want right. Marco's followers. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, follow him at uh, Mr. Marco Inamoto. And then, uh, as for me, you can also follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. Uh, you'll see how um, it turns out I really am Reed Richards. Amazing. I'm always thinking. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> as for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about the Dark Knight trilogy. I recently watched Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises and loved them. So I've got Batman on the brain. Not Begins, though, huh? I didn't watch Begins, and I don't have a good reason. I just oh, didn't. Okay. I just didn't. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I love the movie. I think it's as good. Well, maybe not as good as the other two, but I really love it. Um, but yeah. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Horseradish is like if you took a dump in a furnace and then poured bleach on it, extinguished the flame, and then shot it through a jet engine into a squirt bottles in an Arby's bathroom. A squirt bottle.